Good morning. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, I thank you for our time together this morning that we've been able to come together to sing of your praises, hear of your glorious works in Thailand and and Lord, now as we come around your word, we pray that you would speak to each one of us. I pray that my words would be your words, that you would speak through me. Challenge each of our hearts. Give us ears that hear and hands and feet that are willing to do. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who doesn't love the idea of a treasure hunt? Hang on a sec. Striking it rich by finding a huge sum of money or gold or precious gems hidden in a field or buried under the sea, sunken under the sea perhaps. Millions of dollars worth of treasure. Ladies, who doesn't love the idea of some valuable pearls hanging around your neck, such as these ones, the La Peregrina pearls, worth a cool $11.8 million? (laughs) What about this one? You wouldn't have this one hanging around your neck. It's the largest man-made pearl, and it's also the most expensive at $139 million dollars. And it's made from six tons of fluorite. It took over three years to polish it to this pearlescence. Imagine having that hanging from your neck. (laughs) This morning we continue to have a look at the, the kingdom parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. And we're looking at the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great worth. And at first glance, we can think, we can interpret this this parable in a way that places us into the passage. We can think, we are the man in the field, or, or the merchant man searching for fine pearls. When we stumble across this great treasure, or this great pearl, also known as salvation, or the knowledge that Jesus died for our sins. What a wonderful a wonderful treasure it is, this salvation. What a wonderful treasure. If you cast your mind back to when you announced Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I'm sure it wells up emotions of, of joy and gladness at finding Jesus. And like the man in the field and the merchant, we go and give up everything that we have in order to search after Jesus, in order to to chase after God's will in our life rather than our own goals. After all, having a relationship with Jesus is all about sacrifice. Having a relationship with Jesus is what we value, all about what we value and what we give up. Jesus sacrificed his life in order that we might have a relationship with him and so we need to do the same, don't we? Isn't this the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
Don't we get admission into the kingdom of heaven by giving up everything that we have in order to obtain this kingdom of heaven? I can see some of you shaking your heads. No, this is not the gospel. The practical consequences for this kind of interpretation of this passage. If we have to give up everything that we have in order to obtain the one thing that we can never purchase, that is forgiveness of sins, then it's a false gospel. And in this passage, if, if we are the man in the field and the, the merchant man, it's saying that we are doing all of the searching and finding God. When quite often, in most of our cases, it was the opposite, wasn't it? God found us. We didn't find God. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but... You cannot buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. To be given access to the kingdom of heaven, there must be a price paid for the things that separate you from that kingdom of heaven. Your sins is what separates you from God. And you cannot pay that penalty. The wages of sin is death, as it says in Romans 6.23. No amount of giving up, of, of selling all that you have, is going to ever purchase your way into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot give up enough material things in order to gain access to this kingdom of heaven. And if we were to go around and announce this, this gospel to a non-believer, perhaps someone with a nice house and a nice car and nice material things, and, and we said to them, in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, you must go home and sell everything that you have. That's the implications of this passage if we interpret it this way. There's no way they would think that this is good news. In fact, it would be terrible news to them. I've worked hard all my life to get all of these things and now someone's telling me, if I want Jesus, I must give, all, give up all of this. In fact, folks, the sad thing is that sometimes we interpret Bible passages this way. Sometimes we place ourselves in the passage when, when it's not about us at all. Sometimes you can't place yourself in the passage. Sometimes the passage is speaking of God's glory and God's majesty and, and the way that God works when we don't even factor in. So let's start all over again. The time limit for the sermon starts now, okay? No, it doesn't. Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. 
You see, the reason that the first interpretation doesn't work there is, is because of the order of the unearthing or the finding of the treasure and the selling of the possessions and the buying of the field. Are you following me? If any of you ever are confused by my sermons and, and you don't think I have clarity of thought, well, today we'll, we'll um, yeah, won't disappoint as well. <laughs> you see, the man finds this treasure. He then goes and sells all that he has. After he covers it up, he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And it's the same order with the pearl merchant. When we look at this in the context of the chapter, of the whole of chapter 13, we see that it's not about us. We see that it's not the sinner, not not mankind that is doing the searching, but it's Jesus. Have a look just a few verses before our parable at verse 37 and 38. Jesus is explaining the the parable, parable of the weeds and he says, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. This parable continues on from that explanation. Why would Jesus change the fact that he is the one coming into the world? Why would Jesus change the fact that the field is symbolic of the world? And he is saying that that God is the one. Jesus is the one who has found the great treasure. That the field is the world, just as it is in the first parables. Let me explain a little bit more. The kingdom of heaven didn't just come into the world when Jesus came into the earth. There's a whole other Old Testament that speaks about how God is working and was working in the lives of the people of Israel. We see that the kingdom of heaven is at work in those people, God's people. And these people were referred to a number of times as God's treasure. Exodus 19 verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Notice the similarities there. God called Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He pursued them. He desired them to be his people. He called them his treasure. Treasured possession. God made a covenant with them so that they might call the nations to God through that adherence to the covenant. But there's a bit of a a question that's, that's raised up there. What about the burying? Why does the man find the treasure and then bury it again and then go away and and purchase the field? In the parable, 
I've said that already. It was not uncommon for for people in in Jesus' time to to bury their possessions if they became unwell, if they had the potential to die soon, if they were going off to war. But if someone found this, this treasure, these possessions, all they had to do was lift it up out of the ground in order to gain possession of it. And yet the man in the, in the parable, to secure the treasure, the man covers it up again, tells no one about it and goes and buys the field. There could be no debate of whose the treasure is once the man had bought the field. Are you following me? It's the same with God. God called Israel his treasured possession. But by Jesus coming to the earth, the Son of God coming to the earth, giving up all that he had in order to purchase the field, through his sacrifice, through his death on the cross, there can be no debate as to whose the people of God are. I don't want you to hear me saying that just because Jesus purchases the field in the parable that this means that the field is saved. This is not the case. Jesus' sacrifice through which he purchased the world is available to the world but only effective for those who call upon his name, for those who recognise their need for a saviour, who repent and turn to God. Look at this verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Then in his joy. When Jesus was being led to his death, that excruciatingly agonising execution, was he ever begrudging? Did Jesus ever resent the Father for sending him to the earth and to give up all that he had? No. Jesus was joyful. Joyful about giving up all that he had in order to purchase the field. But in order to be used by the Father, he, he was willing to lay down his life. Let's look at the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Our merchant is, is in search of one pearl, of, he is in search of fine pearls, plural. 
And yet he finds one single pearl of great value and sells all that he had in order to buy that one pearl. Let's not, rem- let's not forget that, that this man is not just a, a small-time jewellery shop owner in the Westfields at North Lakes. He's not just a man who's, who's got one or two pearls. He's a merchant. He makes his living from this. He buys and sells pearls in order to make a living. He's no small-time operator. He's probably got hundreds of pearls. And yet he finds this one pearl. For someone like that to find one pearl that surpasses the value of all his other pearls must be one amazing pearl, isn't it? And yet, again, the value is not in the pearl. The value is in the merchant man who gives up all that he had in order to purchase that one pearl. A pearl is, is formed when an irritant enters into a pearl oyster. Usually a piece of sand, and it, and it makes a wound in the side of the animal that lives in that shell. This irritant gets coated a number of times over and over and over. You know how a pearl is made. It forms inside this, this oyster. Well, the pearl in our parable resembles the church, which was formed out of the side of Jesus, which was pierced for us. It was Jesus who was pierced in order that we might know God, in order that we might be formed into the one united church. And again, it's Jesus who gives the church its value because of, of the giving up that he did in order to establish it. These parables are saying that the kingdom of heaven is Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. These parables are telling us that the kingdom of heaven is Jesus, pursuing us to the point of joyfully laying down his life, giving up the heavenly riches that we cannot even imagine so that we might know God, so that God would get the glory in and through us. That's the gospel. That's good news. Yes? Doesn't this interpretation of these parables hold far greater value than the first? Doesn't the fact that God is the one who has been the initiator in our salvation 
cause our salvation to hold more value, far greater value than anything we could ever work towards. You see, there is more value to be seen in these parables by not seeing us in there, but God in there. And quite often it's not about us. Quite often the kingdom of God is is more about God than it is about us. And until we realise that God is the valuable one in our relationship with him, we won't grasp the value of the kingdom of heaven. And I think some of us are yet to grasp this value that we have, that we have in salvation. I know that I'm on a journey to realise the value of the kingdom of heaven. Throughout this week, I love preparing a sermon because it, it gives me a jump start, a head start on, on a passage than what you get on a Sunday morning. But throughout this week, the evil one has been giving me a hard time about saying, you haven't grasped the value of the kingdom of heaven. How the heck are you going to stand up and, and challenge these people about the, the value of the kingdom of heaven? You see, I'm on this journey with you, discovering new things about the value of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is something that we're not able to obtain by ourselves. But it's through God who pursues us. It's through the grace of God given in Jesus that we are able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is something that that doesn't work on man's ideas and logic. Praise God. But it works on his logic, which is higher and mightier than ours. We saw that last week, didn't we? The kingdom of heaven calls us to live for God wherever we are planted. The kingdom of heaven has a far greater value than we give it credit for. We enter into the kingdom of heaven by God's grace through Jesus. And the kingdom of heaven has far-reaching implications for us as recipients of this grace than we know. but it also has far-reaching implications for others as well. Until we realise this, until we realise that we are not just recipients of grace, but agents of grace, as Pastor Duncan said last week, we haven't grasped the value of the kingdom of heaven for ourselves. I want to leave you with the challenge of are we just going to be recipients of grace or are we going to live lives as agents of this grace? 
both encouraging each other, equipping each other, but also speaking about the value of the kingdom of heaven to others that don't know it. You see, the church is not just one pearl. It is not just a collection of people that God has pursued and who are pursuing God. But they are the way in which God is also pursuing the world. I don't know about you, but I feel inadequate in this. I don't know what to say sometimes when I'm faced with an opportunity to share my faith. And yet in the same way, God can use me just as he uses a mustard seed to become a huge tree. God can use me just in the same way that he used Rahab the prostitute. God can use you just in the same way that he used Daniel and 300 men. God can use you in the same way that he used 12 men from the backwoods of of Israel. This is my favourite verse in the whole Bible. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, jars of earthly bodies to show that this power comes from God and belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, firstly we want to thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've pursued us and are pursuing us. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've initiated our salvation and our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Lord, may we live lives that reflect that wonder, that treasure. Heavenly Father, I thank you for for the way that you are are calling us not to just be recipients of grace, but, but agents of grace. To be people who encourage each other, who, who speak about our faith boldly and who bring others to know the value that is placed within us, the value of the kingdom of heaven. As we go out this week, I pray, Lord, that you would go before us, that even though we have these, these jars of clay, these flawed jars of clay, You have made us perfect in Jesus. And Lord, that we would go out in that knowledge. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.